yeah, alone, guilty, shame, frustration, uh, a lot of regret as well. So yeah, and then you re you feel really responsible because of you. Had I not made those choices, had I not done those things, then these things would not have happened. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today, after months and months and months and months of trying to arrange and coordinate our schedules, because this guy's very busy and so am I, uh, I've got Faisal on the line. Uh, he is a dating coach. I think it's organically shifted into being a dating coach. He's a, he's a dad. He's a good friend of mine. Welcome to the show this uh, Tuesday morning. Good morning, Petra. Nice to have us finally on here. It's so good to finally have us on here. Uh, so tell, tell the listeners just a little bit about you. What do you do? What are you passionate about? Okay, so I, my name is Faisal. I'm passionate about connections, relationships, and people. Very different from what I did before. <laughs> right, exactly. So let's go there. Give us a little hint, because when I first met you, you, would, you were just kind of changing your trajectory a bit. Um, we met, this is where we met, because I just, Facebook just reminded me that the talk I did for Interesting Talks occurred about pretty much exactly three years ago. Yeah. I'm sure that we met just before that at a talk that we were both in the audience for. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's been yeah, a, couple, a good couple of years and uh, it was very fascinating to, to meet you then. So give us a little bit of context. What were you doing way back when? What was your, the start of your career? Did you love it? What was going on? So I started off in IT, computers. Now, so that's uh, pretty much when I was given a machine, a computer when I, when I was 13. Uh, I still remember the, the spec of the machine. Because <laughs> yeah, how left brain I am. Uh, yeah, I just got into IT. I was a programmer, um, systems developer. I could rip machines apart, build them. And, but also I had a very creative side as well. I was also a graphic designer. So it was like, uh, you know, one part very logical and the other part I was very artistic. And uh, uh, so I used to do a lot of graphic design as well. Did you feel like you wanted to do those things or you were on that path from a really young age? Like, did, were your parents suggesting it or like, what was that like? I chose them. So I chose machines, machines and I just, we just clicked. It literally was. It was like love at first keyboard. But what's interesting is stereotypically, um, one wouldn't put sort of an IT geek, you know, in the position of dating guru. That doesn't often like sort of go hand in hand. Um, so no. yeah, very, very contrasting lives, should I say. Very polarized, right? Very from, polarized. Very, like from IT to graphics or, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I did a lot of IT stuff and I used to work from home. I was very fortunate that how, I don't know how, but I used to just always find our way to just work from home. Did you enjoy that? Or is it quite kind of isolating? It and it's not the epitome of connection, is it? No. 
So can you imagine that I'm behind a computer machine? And that, and that was to me, that was that enough connection for me. So I didn't really, uh, I wasn't what I call a great connector with humans. Yeah. <laughs> and so I spent like 15, 16, that's probably more than that, behind computer machines. And, and so when it came to like social uh, situations, so one of my jobs was, um, which was fascinating, which was uh, test driving cars. So, okay. that, so that was fun. And what that meant sometimes was that um, I used to get flown to different places to test drive the cars. And that meant like I would have press conferences and it meant like mingling with people. And that was a struggle. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. Because it sounds quite glamorous. It's quite exciting. Right? It's very glamorous. You go on these private planes, you go around these private airports, you fly to this place, everything's looked after. You, you put it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. But I, have, I had anxiety as well because I'm thinking, this is amazing, but I knew what was coming up. And my anxiety would be, once I got ready, from, once I got ready, I go in and I'm gonna start networking and connecting with people. So I would just sit there with a drink and I was like, please someone come and talk to me. And PR people were really smart. They knew who was a good at networking. They knew like these guys are more left brain. So they'd come and start talking to you and I'm like, okay, thank God somebody's talking to me. And I would just like gravitate toward, you know, be with them and just follow them around. Like this is the only person. So yeah, I did, did that quite a bit. Sounds stressful. Yeah, but, but glamorous. Um, glamorous and then- and then obviously you're, you're, you're a dad of young kids and, and you, you got married at some point. Um, when, when was that? Like how did, what came about there? Okay. So I met, uh, my kid's mom, my ex-wife, uh, at work because it's, it was easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I kind of like, uh, yeah, we, we, we just started talking and connected from there. And then, uh, a year later we got married uh, from, from a year later, we got married, and then a few years later, then we had two beautiful boys. So, whose birthday was the day before yesterday, the, the young ones. Your boys are adorable, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And so, yeah, we had uh, kids, and you know, there was underlying issues in the relationship, but I kind of did the typical guy thing, which was fix a moment, fix a problem in the moment, and boom, that's it, it's solved, it's gone. Because it, the way I looked at it and the way the left brain looks at it is if there is a problem, we fix it and it's dealt with. So for then example, the question is, is it fixed? Like it's a very annoying habit from a female perspective when men do that. Right. Okay. So if I have a computer, it has a problem. I fix it. I don't finish until I fix a problem because boom, it's fixed. That's it. Okay. Any problems. Right? Very logical, very simple. Here's a problem. The computer isn't doing this or the internet isn't doing this. Okay. Once it's finished, once it's done, and then I know the problem's resolved. Next. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want the same problem coming back up again because if the same problem comes back up again, it means that I didn't complete the job. Right. So you've, you failed in some way. Yeah. So for example, I, so how my brain is trained or left brain, we fix the problem. Once it's dealt, it's over. Emotions don't work in that way. I was going to say, so in relationships, often a similar or the same argument or problem will resurface, right? Because unless like the underlying thing is resolved, right? And so, and, and as you say, emotions, you know, are about triggers or about past or about so many things. And so I imagine this formula may not have worked as beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I wish it did. But yeah. no, it didn't work. Uh, so, 
Emotions are, uh, are non-logical. So emotions are non-logical. So therefore, we, I'm applying a logical solution to uh, a non-logical thing. And emotions are waves. They move. They're not stagnant. You know, they, they just change all the time. So, you know, one, people, one person can never stay in one emotion for a, for a very long period. Because so what, yeah, so what was the downside of this approach when it came to marriage and trying to build a life in that sense? Okay, so what happened was when I thought it's fixed, it's done, and I'm logically just hammered in, like, here's a solution, this is what we need to do, boom, it's done. Uh, usually the other person, not just the ex-wife, but the other partner would just go quiet and think, okay, this guy isn't really getting the problem, and I'm like sitting there going, this girl isn't really getting the problem, like understanding the solution. Yeah. So there was a disconnection in that. So there's a disconnect, yeah. Disconnection, because I'm speaking from one point, which is thinking, okay, is this a problem? Okay, we do X, Y, and Z, and the outcome will be X, Y, and Z. Right? <laughs> yeah, and so it isn't, so there's this disconnect, but you can't quite figure out why or how, because those are the tools you have to, to communicate and sort of deal with life. Um, so, so where did this take you? Because I know that your life is so different and you, you literally support and advise people on connection and dating and all the rest of it. Where did it have to get to in order for you to begin, I guess, making changes or, or realizing that something needed to give? Absolutely. Um, it got to breaking point. So it, it, was, uh, it was, I call it my paradox day. I call it, uh, so it was uh, my Worst day of my life because the relationship ended. And in a way, I knew it was coming, but I didn't know it was coming. Because mm. I was you know, thinking, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. So it was the worst day and the best day of my life because worst day meant that my kids would move very far away from me. So they live on the other side of the UK. Uh, and the best day was that I awoke as a man. So I became conscious and when I woke up that moment, I still remember the moment I was on my knees and it was like, either I go right or I go left. Right meaning I fight this. I'm like, no, you're wrong. I'll go into my head or this was my left part, which was like, I accept a hundred percent responsibility of everything in my life. And I immediately went, everything is my responsibility. And that means I'm empowered to change anything in my life. So at what point did this day happen? Had, your, had you already split up? Had the kids moved? Was it sort of after the event? Or was it sort of within the, the, the carnage of change and you just, it shook you? I think uh, for her it was, um, so she planned a, a year, like let's do, and I remember we had a, a year ago, we had a, um, we had a conversation and said, if this doesn't work out, doesn't resolve, after a year we'll, we'll give it a year. And then we will um, make the tough decisions. Make the decision. So for me, I thought I'd fix the problem. It's sorted. Ah. And I thought like, like years yeah, so she had her deadline, which is great. She had a boundary. She had a deadline. And, and then it wasn't, or it wasn't uh, resolved. And so there you are thinking you've done enough or, or ignoring, putting your head in the sand for the bit that perhaps you didn't do or that wasn't fixed. And well, then, yeah, yeah. the thing is, it's not, um, it's putting my head in the sand for the other person, but not for mine. 
Mm. For me, I thought I had done everything I did. I had addressed the issues, but I didn't realize that I hadn't addressed the emotional issues. So to me, I only acted from my instincts, what I knew. So, so these are things that I learned about is how we instinctively react. And so you're on this sort of fork in the road. What makes you think, or what does it mean to decide to take full responsibility? What does that look like? It was well, everything that's come into my life. I'm not responsible for other people's actions or something that might happen, but I'm responsible for how I react to them, what meaning I give them, and how I respond to them. So if something like this happened to me, okay, I can sit there and complain and moan, 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 which I probably did a lot before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mom's like, okay, this is what happened. Now, how do I move as, a, as an adult? How do I move as a mature individual with this situation I'm given? So it's like, you don't have the blueprint for that. Did you, did you read a book? Did you talk to somebody? Did you get some advice? Like what helped you think that there was another way even? I remember having a conversation a month before uh, with my friend and uh, I remember sitting down with Scott and we were having an awesome conversation in, in, the, in the pub and he knew more about psychology. And I was like, this is interesting. So it kind of like uh, uh, got my interest a bit, mm-hmm. but not enough to, for me to pursue and do anything about it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. So there's something called psychology out there. Is there something more than computer programming? <laughs> um, and then after that, I picked up audiobook. I just literally looked up, Googled uh, uh, books to help you with software. I don't know how it happened. I think I just, I just started typing in something and uh, I remember getting a, a law of attraction, um, law of attraction audiobook. It was like a two, two parts. So I downloaded it onto my phone and I just listened to it about for seven days every day for like 10 hours a day. So you start reprogramming your brain in a way. Yeah. And then after that, it was, I kind of ignored my business quite a bit. And I just literally spent eight, 10 hours to 12 hours a day just listening to audiobooks and reading books. And I did that for a really long time. So your desperation essentially had you curious and had you looking for another way and trying to re or not relearn, just simply learn about other ways of thinking and being. Yeah, absolutely. And it was like, um, it was like hell world. It was literally like, you know, like a, a, like a rebirth. So because it was a rebirth, I was so curious about everything. So I just stayed curious about how our mind works, how psychology works, how relationships work. And I thought, and I guess in a way I, I was in a quest to find out what went wrong. To fix it? Yeah, to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah there must be a way. I must find yeah. a way. There must, there must be an app for this. <laughs> yeah. I could just find out how to fix this. There must be a formula. Let me read the books and find out the three-step plan. Yeah. Yeah. So you're desperately looking. And, and in a way, it sounds like you, you, as you said, it was the worst day and the best day. Like you needed this catalyst moment to wake you up, to make you desperate, to even be curious and put the effort in to think in a different way. And so, you, and, and I know that you, you ended up changing your career in so many things. So, so what began happening? What began shifting uh, after or during all this, this reading and learning? 
So in for two years, I was in hibernation. So the two years I was in hibernation, I studied like crazy. I studied everything about anything I could get hold uh, hold on. But I also started networking. <laughs> like actual networking. <laughs> I, I, I started actually. I started by um, going to um, events, like talks. You know, the talks where I, I started going to talks. I'm like, okay, let me go and speak to people now because it's very isolating being on my own. Just with a book, it's one way. So I started going to events and I started uh, getting curious about what authors knew or the speakers knew. And just started slowly prodding and prodding them, finding out, you know, what is this, how is this, and from that I began to get a lot of support as well, because you know I said, look, here I am, this is where I am, and then there was great people that turned up in my life, you know, and that was amazing. That was one of the gifts. It's like wonderful people I've met, and I'm still connected, you know, like yourself, you know, we're connected, and we, and they were just amazing. And did you were there moments of despair? like um, feeling feeling depressed or hopeless or, you know, because it's not, yeah, I want to give people that context. Two years of this hibernation and figuring things out. What, what were the feelings attached to some of that? So those two years were, um, I would say, one of my darkest moments as well. So two years, there was a lot of questioning about, uh, you know, I went through, you know, uh, you know, you go through regret as well, you go through anger as well, you know, the grief, the process. And I was thinking, you know, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad father for making this happen. So I, and I went through some really, really dark moments as well. I remember uh, just, it was crazy the things I was thinking at that time because I, I was trying to fix this problem and I saw my kids in real pain because they would ask questions like, you know, Daddy, why are we not together anymore? And, and they would ask questions like, do you not want to be with us? So, you know, when you've got a two-year-old, when you've got a three-year-old, when you've got a six-year-old asking questions like that, and you're thinking, only if you knew. So there was moments where I would, you know, so they used to live on the other side. I would uh, travel, uh, you know, we would travel by train, and then uh, on the way back, I would go to the off-license and then get a few drinks and numb the pain. You know, and then I'd go back to sleep, you know, I'd go to sleep and I've had enough alcohol, it just put me to sleep. And that was a cycle, you know, it went through a huge cycle like that. And there was moments in my life when I, in a really a low point, and the low point was, um, what's the point of me being here? You know, I was thinking, what, what's, what's the point of me being here? What, how would this, uh, if I took myself out of the equation, so I was just trying to fix it. If I took myself out of the equation, A, I wouldn't feel the pain, and then my kids wouldn't have to go through this, you know, the, the connection and separation every time. So they would go through the initial pain of me not being here anymore, but they'll overcome. So there was a lot of things like that running through my mind. I think it's incredible how, because I've been there too, how we can convince ourselves that our kids would be better off without us when we're in those low horrific points. And I think it's just really important to understand that change, hibernation, all the learning stuff doesn't mean it's all like, oh, I've got this new idea. Now I know what I need to do with my life and my business. And, you know, people think it's that some people just have it in them to make that switch. But actually, it's that whole like caterpillar, caterpillar butterfly thing, right? Where it just takes ages and you think you're dying and you don't actually see the way through. 
but you're just reading the thing to try like it's messy to try, try, just trying to figure it out yeah yeah you, yeah. you become kind of like, in a way addicted to something to to re-resolve something you're looking for those you know i guess emotions of certainty and and when you feel safe because you know you just, the whole world is ripped apart and so there's so much uncertainty you you're feeling really unsafe um and so and yeah Mm. and alone and feeling guilty and blaming yourself, all those things. Yeah, alone, guilty, shame, frustration, uh, a lot of regret as well. So, yeah. And then you, re you feel really responsible because of you. Had I not made those choices, had I not done those things, then these things would have happened. So this idea of taking full responsibility can be very confronting because it, it then leads to questioning, well, if I am responsible you know, uh, the regret, the guilt, the shame, all these sorts of things. It's like you now have to face up to all the stuff that maybe you've hidden under, you know, let me just fix it and be that guy. Oh, absolutely. I had to confront parts of me, my shadow parts, my dark parts, my flaws, and being able to speak about them. Oh my God, that was, that was a challenge. Like, no, I don't want to go there. Well, you need to go there. No, I don't want to go there. So when I, I, you know, I had a great support. I had some great coaches. I still have some great coaches. Um, without them, you know, I would say, you know, try and do some things on your own. It's a very lonely world. It's a very scary world. So there's no need to be alone. And there's always people there, whether if you can or cannot financially afford them, there's people there to help and support you. So there was something powerful about just reaching out and asking for help and almost learning to talk about stuff, having learning the emotional language maybe. Yeah. So there was a lot of learning. There was a lot of, uh, I guess, uh, emotion, learning about emotional vocabulary. Yeah. You know? So how do you feel? Pissed off or hungry? Or, you know, there was, a, there was a few emotional range. I noticed I was reading a psychology book on, on, on especially on boys and they're saying that they have uh, a, a very restricted, uh, range of vocabulary when it comes to emotions so it was like oh i feel this what is it i have no idea i don't know is there a word for it and then i looked up some words and I'm like oh there's a word for this <laughs> so you know it, it grew from like like three four words to like you know 15 15 words so on average i think most people have about four like guys yeah to just express what's going on internally good bad angry sad whatever uh, rather than all the, the whole range, right? Yeah, so when you're saying I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling jealous, I'm feeling envious, and maybe I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling horny, or all those words, <laughs> you know, we know a few words. So there's a whole range of them. I'm feeling, um, yeah, there's, there's lots of words, knowing what you're feeling and what your thoughts are and distinguishing between them. Being it, Learning to reflect, I guess, on your internal world as well as what's external. Because that fixing thing is very like, what do I see externally? And how can I use my brain to work it out rather than connecting to your whole body, your heart, your soul, like all aspects of you? Yeah. I was like, what, what is, what's, what's a body, soul, what, why is that important? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just my head and my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. That needed. <laughs> yeah. Do I, oh God, I relate to that so much. I'm like, because, because my brain and my head got me out of lots of traumatic situations. It allowed me to survive. So I was very attached to this way of surviving. Um, because it was really useful for about a decade. I got my education, I hustled, I did all these things. And then I realized now I'm in a peaceful, now I'm in a safe place. And now I do want to be able to, to build sort of deeper relationships and create space for that. 
And I realized I'd lost the skill of just connecting into my body. And I was like, fuck, I can't think my way through this relationship bullshit. <laughs> um, I got to like connect to other parts of me. Absolutely. It's um, connecting. I, I love one of the things I heard. It's like when you connect to all of you, like your light, your dark, your emotions, your psychology, your well-being, your uh, spiritual, everything, that's when you become whole. Yeah, and have the possibility to connect in a healthy way with someone else. So um, we, I know we could discuss that for a little while, but just talk us through. So you've got this two years of hibernation, some darkness, some reaching out, some learning emotional language. Where does it then develop into? So you still have your IT job, right? You haven't changed all of that, or what's the transition then? So yeah, I was, still, I was running my IT business, and luckily, um, it, it kind of runs by itself. Okay. No, so I could um, say so it was running in the background, but what was happening was I was neglecting that. And so I started neglecting, I started neglecting it, I suppose, in the marriage as well, because when, it was, when I wasn't feeling full optimum, then, you know, what happens at home will reflect your business. So everything's connected. And so, yeah, so I was very interested in, in psychology. I was very interested in human behavior. And I started learning the depths of, of psychology or, or spirituality where most people weren't talking about. So I started exploring things like shame, real, real shame, toxic shame. And it's sort of the bedrock of our, our psychology, our emotions, you know, and that was really interesting. You know, learning about there's something wrong with me, but that's my identity. Uh, and yeah, so I just went on this quest to learn. And then how it changed or how it changed my career was someone, people said, you know, you know a lot, you know, and this is really interesting. You should, you should go out and be a speaker and speak. And I'm like, <laughs> speaker, me, train people. I hate networking, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if it's computers, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to them. I'll cry now. But if it's people, so I remember a friend of mine. She was doing a talk, and she said, "Guys, I um, I want you to come and speak about shame." And I'm like, um, "I'm feeling shame talking about shame." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so I had a rule. I had a, I have this rule. It's called the eighty twenty percent rule. So eighty twenty percent is a very common psychology ratio as well so 80 percent of the time when i say no to something because of fear i do it do it anyway do it and then 20 percent of the time i give myself leeway so you're not too hard on yourself if it's yeah because if you don't have leeway then what happens is then then it embeds then it starts compounding shame and that's the last thing you do a lot of people a lot of coaches a lot of psychologists really need to get and understand this is that if you start compounding shame and, and, and it just then externalizes into a toxic behavior, addiction is one of them, right? So when, when shame is compounded and not dealt with, then it explodes in, in uh, toxic behavior. So yeah, I did this. So I turned up and I was, wow, I was so nervous. I turned up <laughs> and I had five, you know, she was said, you can talk, just talk for five minutes. I said, okay. So I went to the talk. And it's in this, uh, in a theater lounge area, not like a proper. It's just like a few of us gathered together. And I went up to every single one, just to prep them to say, "I'm, I'm speaking, but I'm not a speaker. I, please be nice to me. I'm vice." I just went to prep them. I was so terrified. Yeah. I did my robotic 
walk. I'm shame. Oh, I, yeah, I just turned up blah, 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 information and I just walked out of that. Well, that's how I saw it. But, I, you know, people thought like, oh, man, you were really good. You, you know, that was really good. And then my friend said to me, okay, so I will see you back in two weeks. We're doing a three-hour talk. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. So from there, that's how my uh, speaking business grew inside it. And from there on, I was committed to uh, just talking and speaking and speaking and speaking. And when a play, so most of the time, I didn't have a place to speak because no one invited me because I wasn't known as a, like a speaker then. So if something didn't exist, I'll create it. So my philosophy is if something doesn't exist, don't create it. And you've created your own events and you've partnered with people and just put things on and showed up and consistently gotten out of your comfort zone. That's what I've witnessed over the last years that I've known you. Yeah, absolutely. When well, I've, it's about leaning into them. It's about leaning in, like, for example, what's, you know, like I've gone through so much crap. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that's going to happen? And then, yeah, just keep leaning into it. Keep leaning into it. Are there are times where I don't want to lean into it. Of course. Yeah, I have my 20%. Sometimes that 20% can be huge. Sometimes I'm like, okay, this is going to take a bit longer. Then maybe there's more work to do. But what I admire about it and what I've done myself is um, it's through the practice of doing it that you build the skill. Whereas sometimes people want to just stay in the books and bearing in mind you were in the books for a little while, but things like speaking, things like training, things like coaching, like the best way to learn is literally doing it. Um, kind of like parenting, the only way to really, you can't just do the, the theory and childbirth. You can't just do the theory of it. You've got to show up and actually do it, right? And, and then the skill develops as you're out there. Whereas I think sometimes people are like, oh, let me just study a little bit longer or let me study the theory or do it in this safe environment longer. And you just don't like speed up the process of learning because I mean, I'm sure you've had talks as I have that sucked. I mean, I've had talks that I was just like cringing, wishing it would be over, but you have to finish, you know, you just have to show up and get, get it done. Oh, absolutely. I remember this. And you're right. It's like learning to swim by using YouTube. Right, right. Exactly. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. How's the water? I don't know. On YouTube, it doesn't tell me what temperature is, you know, what's the, you know, so yeah, it's learning. So when, uh, I love the saying, confidence comes after the act. Yes, I agree. I agree because coaching clients come to me very specifically saying, teach me confidence. Like, um, you, you know, what is, the, what is the, the formula, I guess, of confidence? I'm like, well, the formula is go out and do the thing and the confidence will come later. And they're like, no, but could we just talk about it for a while? I'm like, we could talk about it. But then you have to consistently challenge yourself where you're simply not going to build your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. You have to lean into that place. You have to do the thing that you, you are like uh, learning about and you're in the safe zone, like you said. And so you, you were speaking on sort of different topics. You're speaking on shame. You're trying to piece together your experience and making it useful for audiences. And I know now dating is kind of your, your niche. It's, your, it's the, the, the connection place that you speak most about, masculine, feminine energy, all these sorts of things. What got you there? Um, were you dating now post-divorce? Were, were you testing that as well? Like what got you interested in that side of things? Oh, absolutely. So um, as a computer software developer, yes. you develop and then you go through a testing phase. <laughs> right? So um, what I did was I learned a lot about relationships. I learned about the differences between men and women, uh, you know, the men's behavior, women's behavior. 
uh, everything I read. So after reading a lot, so when I started reading, I would go and test it. Is it true? Nice. Okay. So I would learn about uh, our amygdala brain, which is, you know, our emotional brain. And it, it behaves in a certain way. Is it true? Let me go and try it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Is this true? Do most men behave in this way? Okay. Is it applicable to around the world or certain countries or certain cultures? Is it true? And then I just went on. Women are like this. Is that true? Who, who, who installed that belief? Where did that belief come from? You know, do men do this? Do women do that? Do they, you know, and you learn about, yeah, there, there are some similarities. There are some differences. There's some overlap. So there's not like a black and white. You know, in the, in the media, we hear the black and white. But in my talk, I make it black and white just to prove a point. But there are, there's aspects of me, for example, like the masculine family I talk about. When I started learning about that, I went through and I, shit, I'm like a female. <laughs> there's aspects of me when, I, when I'm not on computer, I'm like, I'm like a woman. And I, and I thought, or am I? Or is it a man? Or is it just being a human? Yeah. You know, and, and we realize that we do have boxes a lot, which is uh, created by media, which can be very damaging. And, and, and when we start uh, realizing, actually, we're human, and some humans have this trait, and we have them, and we can over merge them, mix them up. It's have okay. more control than we think. What's, yeah. a, what's an example of a damaging belief system that the media maybe uh, perpetuates? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, for example, boys don't cry. Mm. Uh, things I have. Mm. Yeah, women are emotional wrecks. You know, and uh, so I remember one of my friends I met, and she was um, a feminist. And she really helped me in the early stages, and she was helping me understand more about because you know, growing growing up with guys as well and men, you know, you we we have lots of um, beliefs installed in us, and a lot of them were sexist. But I didn't realize they were sexist because they were common to me. Yeah, it's just normal. Um, it's normal. Yeah. And then and then she said, Faisal, did you know that's sexist?" I'm like, "I have no idea. Really, let me explain how." And she said, oh, okay." And then. I was like, this is so interesting, isn't it? How amazing how we're programmed by movies, by films, by, by advertising. Yeah, yeah. And so once you know that, then you can figure out how to get curious and test, I guess, another way of being. Yeah, so I'd say it would be testing like, okay, my actions affect people in this way. You know, and it was like, okay, what outcome do I desire? And how do I create that? And what action is required? So I'd have natural instinctual responses to trying to fix things logically. Now, if I'm sitting opposite someone who isn't logical driven, but they're more emotional driven naturally, so it could be a guy or a girl. It, it doesn't matter. It depends on who I'm sitting. So I would know that when they're communicating, their, their, their vibe or their communication is more emotional. So if I try to approach their language or their um, conversation with a, with a very logical point, there's like a, yeah. So does, are you saying that we need to listen, observe, and adapt our language to how someone else might understand it? So we're still being authentic and saying what we need and, and whatever we're communicating, but we're just going, oh, they speak more emotionally. Let me adapt in or... Yeah, I mean, first, first it's kind of like pacing in with them. Yeah. So once, we, once we're able to communicate at their language, 
um, then we're able to build that bond. So when we have that bond, then we can invite them into your language. So, you know, for example, if I'm having a, um, I remember having a, uh, an argument in my relationship. Okay. Even now I still have arguments. So it doesn't matter. Do you? Yeah. I'm still normal. I still forget things, you know, yeah. I'm still theory. I'm still practicing like everybody else. But I remember, um, having this conversation and it was getting very heated and I was trying to make a logical point and she was not being able to get that. So I said, look, I need a new, I need a technique here. I need a, um, something I need to do, like an intervention. So I asked her, I said, if I invite you to look at this situation from a purely logical point of view to understand what I'm trying to communicate here. So it was an invitation. It wasn't like trying to force someone. It wasn't, I'm trying to vomit on them, you know, but it was like an invitation. I was like, my invitation is if you look at this situation from a purely logical point of view, just for now, you'll be able to understand my perspective, my view, why I'm holding this forum. And then I will then come into your world and your emotional world and then look at it from that point of view. And sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes I'm in the emotional world and she's in the logical world. So sometimes if I'm emotional, then, you know, I need a reminder or an invitation to come to the logical and see it from a logical point of view. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. So I was like, yeah, my wounds were triggered. I was maybe feeling X, Y, and Z. Maybe I was feeling jealous. Maybe I was feeling angry. Or maybe I was feeling something I didn't see. And so it takes, on both parties, it takes some real uh, vulnerability and self-awareness to be willing to listen to another person's perspective, to almost do that dance. And, and because when we're triggered, right? When, when something is coming up that's highly emotive from, that's perhaps triggered from the past and you're now the perpetrator or whatever, it's really yeah. hard for people to actually get the cortisol down, release the stress hormone a, a little bit and be open to the idea of someone else's perspective. Is that the foundation, just personal self-awareness? Yeah, and practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Testing, testing. Yeah, so this is, this is where, you know, we were talking about the head. Yeah. This is where, like, listening to your body comes in. Because this is like, oh, my God, I'm really, really serious. What do I need to do? Okay, to address this situation because my body is communicating something with me. Okay, so I'm, I'm really fueled up. It's easy said than done. I appreciate it. And there's no more bigger trigger than children. Because right? yeah. <laughs> when they've been yapping at you for 12, 14 hours, you're completely at... Yes, you're shot. Yes. You're like, I have got nothing more to give. I'm <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a practice. It's a constant practice. It's like, oh, I'm triggered. What is tense? What does it mean? Yeah, and I've been testing this recently because I've been dating somebody for two months, which is uh, so much fun and terrifying, obviously. Um, and especially at certain times, like when, if my, I get very logical work focused, um, uh, you know, I hustle, you know, I get very maybe masculine energy if you want to describe it that way. Right. And so we've realized that I need this buffer time before I can like descend into a softer kind of emotive place. And if we catch me at this, like immediately after work thing, I'm still like, come on. Yeah. All right. Let's just understand it this way. Like that's how my brain's working. It's really fast paced as well. Um, and but he's really able to notice what's going on in my body as well. So I might be um, having a hug, but not breathing, you know, or, or kind of, I can't relax into his affection because I'm still, you know, in fight or flight. 
and he's able to go, you're not breathing or do you need, you know, what do you need right now? And that kind of helps me recognize, oh yeah, I'm not like, I'm really having shallow breath or I feel really tense uh, and, and allows us to have that dance that you're talking about. But my God, it is practice, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's practice and two people got to be aligned to notice each other as well. And be willing to attempt that dance, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the relationship isn't about, you know, there's like different levels of relationship. One is about my needs and everyone's going me, 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 me. Then it's about the trade, you and you and you and me and you, me and you, you do this. I did this. Then it kept, gets parts like what's good for the greater good? You know, what's best for the, the greater oneness of us and everything else around us? So there's me, you, and then there's us in the middle. And sometimes both parties need to be thinking about that as a collective or something. Yeah, and even more than that, like, you know, how does this serve everything in our life? Yeah. So, so like, like really zooming out, you know, you're, you know, the instinctual is about me. You know, that's, that's where we act from our very primal place. It's like, oh, I'm not getting this, or I'm not getting this need me, yeah. or it says me, me, me. And then, you know, when we, when we move to higher, slightly higher conscious level, then it's about, you know, okay, so what is it? We start bartering a bit, which is still not the full, you know, like we can go even higher than that. And it's like, okay, what's the greater good for the collective? So not only does our relationship affect each other, but everyone else around us, everything else around us. So what is the impact on everything around us? And that's the practice of conscious thinking and conscious decision making outside and, and reflecting on your fight or flight position, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, mm. and then do you, do you have like personal practices that help you stay in that place? Like, do you meditate or what are the things that you do just to, to guard your higher consciousness or allow you to be in that state? Yeah, so I like what Eckhart Tolle said. Uh, if you read the book, The Power of Now, so he doesn't meditate. Right, but he's one of the most spiritual persons you meet. He he said you, you're in a constant meditation. So so all you have to do is meditate for two seconds, or even one second, but on a regular basis, constantly throughout the day. So there's no point in you doing like he, he believes there's no point in you doing 20 minutes, and for the rest of the day it's it's acting like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, you're you're acting out of your instinct. But so what I try so what I do is I always try to go into one of my senses in the moment. So, for example, uh, this morning I was going for a swim. I was like, oh, this uh, tree, the tree, look, appreciate the tree for a moment. Because I, I get in my head, uh, like most people, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about business, I'm thinking about ideas and concepts. Then I'm like, oh, look at that tree, isn't it amazing? So what happens is when you go into your senses, senses, then it takes you out of your, um, your thinking, amygdala brain, and it just fo it focuses you in. So I'm like, okay, what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking? You know, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? So it's just coming back to it as much as you can in the moment. Oh, I realize I'm breathing. And yeah. I capture myself. I'm like, when I capture my body, I'm like, wow, this is so intense. It's so tight. Imagine what it's doing on my immune system. Right? Yeah. That's shocking how much evidence there now is about cortisol and tension and stress and how it affects our physical health. Um, which is an amazing driver for us to kind of reflect on that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a, yeah, a massive link with cortisol that's running through us because we're now we're not in the hunter-gatherer days. Yeah. Where before, you know, people were a lot more happier. And when we had stress, boom, it would be taken out. You know? And kids handle it. Release it. Yeah, kids do it really well because they're always active. 
know, they have a stressful moment and then boom, they let go and they're off they go. For sure, for sure. Well, unless they're stuck on their phones all the time, which is why mental health issues might be rising in kids, right? Um, there's two, we haven't got that much time, but there's two little angles I want to go in at. Now, I know that you do some, some workshops and talks for women's groups, so women who are looking for to, to date or to shift something within themselves. Um, what's the biggest challenge that you see women facing? So when they come to you for, for a solution or for some skill, what, is, what are they complaining about? What's the challenge? So uh, it's so helping women um, with dating. Yeah. Now, see, dating, dating is one of the most crucial aspects when it comes to building a relationship because that's your initial connection. Yeah. Now, if you fuck this up, if you get this wrong, guess what? Whether it's dating, yeah, whether it's dating a business partner or interviewing someone or something like that, the initial connection, you get this wrong and you go on that path, and yeah, you kind of history tells you what results you have. So the challenges they have is I meet a lot of women who are successful, driven, and they say, I cannot find uh, like a high-value man or I cannot find a guy who's uh, not intimidated by me. Yeah. yeah. So I can't find a guy that I want a man who can really knows himself, knows his worth, and can really lead him and lead us as well, and then understand the balance between. I want a man who's really conscious as well, who's loving, who's caring, who's present. You know, you know, who understands me. You know, understands. Uh, you know, my emotions. Conversations. And, yeah. Yeah, understands me. Who stimulates me not just you know physically, but intellectually and emotionally and energetically. Now, that's not too much to ask, right? Oh, come on. <laughs> I have a whole list. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's, so there's a big, long list. What's, what's the advice? How do you help? Um, how are you showing up in the world? Right? Good. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. yeah what's your responsibility? No, absolutely. So, you know, I was like, okay, I want, I want, I want. Okay, what do you offer? Yeah. Yeah. Go both ways. It's like, for example, what do you bring to the table? And does this person, here's, here's, a, here's one that really triggers a lot of people, is do you meet the requirements of your requirements? Yeah, are you that person? Yeah, are you perfect? And they're like, oh, I want, I want a king. Well, a king is only visible to a queen. Right? The king is only visible, you know, he would only select a queen. So therefore, he will have his requirements. If you don't, you know, like this, the guys who reject you or the guys who, it's probably because you don't meet their requirement. And if the, if this guy's like, wow, he's amazing. He's this, he's this. And he doesn't, ex- you know, he, he doesn't accept you as being a partner. That means you haven't maybe consciously, you know, changed some of the things in the unconscious to be at that level. I love this because it all starts with us, our own self-awareness, how we're communicating, how we're looking after our health, both mentally and physically, are we conscious and present or are we triggered and expecting them to play a part, like a play a role within our story, right? Or are we actually coming as two whole individuals? Absolutely. For example, one of the things um, I talk about is being truly present. And presence also means um, here's where it catches people out. Here's where it calls me out. It catches everyone out. Is I talk about presence and presence doesn't mean that we just start gazing and eye-gazing and just completely effectively listening. Presence is when you get hurt in that moment, 
is when you start leaning into that moment. For example, when you get rejected, when you get something told about something and you're really feeling that pain and hurt, being present is when you're being with that pain and not closing off. Like, okay, I got rejected. There's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with this. Or this and that. That's when you lose your presence and you're asking people to be present. Double standards there. Total double standards. And I'm curious about this one because it's a challenge for me. How can we as women create a safe space for a man to feel vulnerable and for us to still hold and respect him as a man? Do you know what I mean? I know that sounds icky, but I think I often see that women go, we want a vulnerable man. And then when he's vulnerable, they kind of go, ooh, he can't keep me safe. You know, there's like something that happens and a man senses it, I think. What can we do? Yeah, Bernard Brown said this one really well in Daring Greatly. And she said, oh, you want a really sensitive guy who opens up his emotion, who's vulnerable. As soon as that happens, your instinct kicks in and you're like closed off. Yeah, you have, I've been many places of that time. Uh, two things need to happen. One is you need to have that open communication. Like, you know what, sometimes my, I might react from instinct, but for my high consciousness, uh, I always want that open communication. Second thing is, it depends on who you're talking to because the, the left brain vulnerability is very different to the right brain vulnerability. So a left brain vulnerability looks like about ideas and concepts and future and plans. So if your partner, if your guy is very left brain driven, that's his vulnerability. If he's able to, you know, if he goes into his access, his emotions and size of that, then it comes up with the words of feeling and emotional and things like that. When I do, when I've done men's workshop, we have men that really truly open up because they see other men opening up, and then it gives them the green light. So in our men's room, I've heard things I've never heard men speak outside. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, I want to be in that room. Yeah. But it's a safe space for them. They really feel, and it's their right as well. It's it's not like it's like I understand you want me to be complete, but that's your need. Okay, if you want to really connect with me, meet my, you know, understand what I'm going through, what my need is, and maybe I don't want to talk about it. Maybe I want to fix something in my head or sort something out. That's how I do vulnerability. So a lot of left brain people, when they have a problem, they withdraw, they disconnect. I do that. Yeah, so disconnect because I want to sort it out in my head. For emotionally driven person, that disconnection, they see that as about me, there's something wrong with me, I've done something wrong. But actually, no, it's just a way of they dealing with it. So an emotionally driven person, a more feminine driven person, they deal with stress or emotions through expression. Yes. So by understanding, okay, um, when I have, when I'm you know, with my partner, when I'm with, with someone, I, I say, look, this is what's going on. In my head, I need to disconnect, I need to, in, 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 nothing, um, don't give it a meaning other than the fact that I'm just dealing and managing it my way. So what I require in those moments is a space and understanding. Okay, by me, by you asking multiple questions and prodding doesn't allow me to open up. In fact, it slows my progress down. It's the same way as, for example, when your emotion, when a person is emotionally expressing. When I'm trying to fix the situation logically, then slows their process down. So what we do, instinctively, this is how it makes me feel better. So this is how the other person feels better. 
And what I love about this is sometimes we can't have this level of conversation when we're in it. So if somebody's in crisis and the other person's trying to fix, we may get it totally fucking wrong. You know, and I always ask couples, um, what, how, what's your conversation like in peacetime? So how do you repair or reflect after the event so that you can then get some tools and skills and understanding about the person so that next time when somebody's in that sort of space, you have this next level of testing or understanding, right? So there's something about what are those conversations like? Yeah, absolutely. Afterwards is testing, reflection. Oh, yeah, you know what? Thank you for showing me. Yeah. You know, ask, ask really powerful questions. What was it that I didn't see that you were trying to communicate? What was it that I missed out? What, would, what was something that, that would serve the greater good? What would help in that yeah, situation? What do you need from me? How can I help? Yeah. yeah. What, what was it that I didn't, I missed, and that was you were asking for that I didn't see? So that's, a, that's really a different line of questioning than what was wrong with you. You know, that which is what we often do is like, what, why were you like that? What happened? You know, it's, it's more aggressive and makes it the other person's fault rather than yeah. this is about the us. And I want to be able to nurture and do what I can, even though it's your responsibility to, I guess, work through it. Absolutely. And become curious and, and, and really become curious. So what was it that I missed? What, did, what was it that I didn't see that you were trying to communicate to me? You know, because I was, I got trapped in my own emotions and everything like that. So, um, help, you know, help me understand something. So I know how to support and manage you because whatever you're going through, whatever your journey is, because there may be a different level of support that you need. Mm. Yeah, so it's like radical honesty and self-awareness and, and getting out of the me, me, which, which society kind of encourages these days. Yeah. So, I mean, me, me is important as well because everything starts with me, but it's not about me as in just my needs, my needs, my needs, because a communication is a two-way thing, you know? And it's like, okay, what are the other needs? And it's very, very easy for all of us, even us experts, to go into our instinct because our psychology is run by our amygdala brain. It's like so powerful. Yeah. It will take over. No matter how spiritual you are, put someone in a pressure cooker and you just watch how their psychology turns up. Okay. Yeah. 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 But, and relationships are about two people. Um, we're coming to the end of our times so before I ask my final question, where can people connect with you? Uh, if they want to work with you or get you speaking, where can they find you? Absolutely. I would love to speak and connect with people. Uh, they can find me on my website, which is F A I S K.com. Or you can find me on social media, Faisal K speaks. So that's my handles, but yeah, I'm sure there'll be a link for this, but yeah. Put it all into the show notes for sure. Yeah, I'm doing all my teaching on social media and yeah, if you want to have a real powerful conversation, if you want to get into the swimming pool, give me a conversation. Get into the swimming pool, people. I love it. Um, and so finally, what is, what is the biggest challenge? It's a double question, two-edged sword. What's the biggest challenge you're facing at the moment and what does the future hold for you? So what's the biggest, what's tough and what does the future hold? Uh, what's been tough, uh, I guess the biggest challenge, um, it's been more in my business life than anything else. So it's becoming more single focused, even more, right? Real, real focus on that. So that was a challenge. And that meant I had to let go of a lot of things I was holding on to. Like so what were you holding on to? Uh, identities. Now, for example, if I was like, if, okay, if I've been seen as just, this guy, that means I won't be seen in my peers. And um, For example, I belong to some really big mastermind groups. If I'm just seen as, as like 
X, Y, Z, but I will not seen as a businessman or entrepreneur or something like that. I don't do that. So yeah, there was lots of like, okay, that's what they're going to think. Let them think that. You know, it's like people are going to think this, people are going to think this. So letting go of what people are thinking and just going for the greater purpose and, and what's good. Connecting inward yeah. to, to yeah. Yeah. you. That's so liberating when we do end up getting that right. Um, oh, right. <laughs> and so what, what does that free you up to do? What's the, what does the future hold? What are you looking for? Uh, I really want to focus on dating, uh, but the real purpose behind it, not like the superficial, oh yeah, let's go on. You know, I, I want to really show that, you know, if you get dating right, you can really start eliminating or reducing the, the risks of like real bad breakups. Mm. You know, because it'll have an impact on your children, it'll have an impact on your family and people around you. You know, if you get dating right, you get the two people right. It just gives you an edge. It doesn't mean it's perfect. It's going to get it right. It doesn't mean they won't break up. It just gives you a really great strength and foundation to begin with. You know, you, you care of the red flag, you know, understand where the red flags are. Understand that am I going to be dating a narcissist or, uh, you know, a narcissist man or a woman, or am I going to be dating these type of people? Then you can just curb them on the early process. Not when you're, 10 months into it and you're emotionally chemically bound as well. And it's really hard to break up. So learn to read situations early on, uh, develop that self-awareness. And it sounds like it, I know you're focusing on dating, but relates in general to communication and, and relationships and how we maybe own, own ourselves and what we want out of life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about connections, not just uh, your intimate, you know, dating, to me, dating is everything. Every, every, every connection I have, I call it, you know, it's a date. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's how do we read the other person? How do we ask for what we need? All of these things. And I love that if, if we look at it that way, uh, everything is an opportunity for testing, for learning about ourselves, about someone else. And also it's just a deeper more connected way to live. Like London and big cities can feel so lonely, especially if you work for yourself and you're single or whatever. And it's like, how can we just connect in to greater energy and, and life force and all sorts of people, right? Absolutely. The world's out there. It's your chance, it's your opportunity. So yeah, make it happen. Make it happen, love it. Faisal, thank you so much for your time. I know you're blowing up all over the place. People are gonna find you. We're gonna add that into the show notes. I'll see you soon, Brilliant. I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through petrabelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.